Welcome to Hidden Secrets to Leadership Success, the podcast that helps you be the leader you were meant to be. Our speakers are Hector McGahern and Steve Royal, both experienced leaders in their own right. They will share with you more about their careers and background as our podcasts evolve. As you will hear, leadership is a fascinating subject with literally hundreds of definitions. But the purpose of these podcasts is simple for Hector and Steve. They want you to be a better leader. No matter where you are now, what they have to share is vital to your future leadership success. So let's jump in. Here are Hector McCahern and Steve Royal. Welcome to our podcast, Hidden Secrets to Leadership Success. We're delighted to have you join us today, and uh, we appreciate your taking a few minutes out of your day to uh, to listen to what we've got to say. So. Uh, Thanks for being here. Today's topic, a little bit different. Uh, we've been spending a lot of time on characteristics of effective leadership, which is uh, obviously successful. But what we uh, really want to talk about today uh, is a responsibility of effective leaders. And that may come as a little bit of a surprise, but it's one of those things that is truly a hidden secret, if you will, about, uh, about effective leadership. And that is the ability to influence retention and, uh, or so, or, or just the retention issue that, uh, that we run into. And one of the important things about, uh, this subject in today's environment is the, um, uh, what's been labeled the great resignation. And I don't have all of the exact numbers in front of me, but, uh, uh, people are, uh, have been over the last couple of years and continue to, resign from uh, organizations and move into other uh, avenues. Some of the economists will tell you that uh, part of this is due to stimulus checks that people got, and so they've decided not to uh, not to go back to work or that they're going to work in a different place uh, or that they're uh, just not happy with where they are. And uh, uh, one of the more interesting things that's happened probably in the last uh, several months is that people are beginning to uh, tell their companies that they don't want to come back to the home office or be in, in a building anymore. They want to stay home and do their job. And many companies are now talking about be, uh, requiring people to return to their um, uh, their office uh, for, uh, for success. And so... Um, I have a, a little bit of a personal bias about that. I think that it's uh, important that people get together. We talk often about uh, the responsibility of an effective leader is to build relationships. I think that's really hard to do when most of the people that you're working with are remote. So um, so we want to talk a little bit about um, uh, the uh, the issue of retention as it relates to the effectiveness and success of being a leader. So it's still within that context, but it's an important uh, criteria for uh, for looking at that. So, Hector, what? Uh, uh, how would you like to kick us off there with, with that? Well, I like your idea about people say the great resignation, and uh, I think what we want to talk about is retaining employees versus allowing employees to resign. And one of the things that occurs to me is making certain that, uh, one, we hired the right people. I think, uh, 
one of the things that has happened is people have gotten desperate about employment and they're saying, we'll take whomever we can get. Right. And they take whomever they can get without any sense of the value of that person, the values of that person. And I say it two two times because values affect your ability to apply skills to what you want to do. So I, I think, I think we live in a, a, a world that we employers have to own this business about why people resign. And I think the way we have gone about it is we're just kind of focusing on, you know, well, you know, they decided to leave, they left and, uh, this person left and this was a problem and that sort of thing. What we have to focus on is not that they left, but how and when in their trajectory in the company do we start to thinking about how do we retain this person? How do we cause that person to feel about our organization that like they want to be there? And that starts with uh, understanding, I think, the vision. Mm -hmm. I mean, getting clear on what are you there. And what what is the opportunity with you being there? What's the opportunity that you now have to influence the direction of that organization? Right. So I think I think people now do think differently about employment. I think they do think differently about employment. I think they are taking less and they want to get more. But I think what they want more from is more a cerebral thing. It's not so much, I want more money. It's, I want to be in an environment that allows me to uh, really flex my muscle and do the things that I am really, really good at. And I think if we don't allow them to do that, we will continue to see the same thing. I, I think people are leaving. The, uh, most people that I hear about moving around are people who say to me, I just want to do my own thing. I, I am not interested in working for another organization. I hope if I'm going to leave, I'm going to try it for myself for a while. And I, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it. It seems like there's something that exists now that people feel more courageous in trying and doing something that they haven't done before. So I see a lot of that going yeah. on. Well, I, I do too. And I think the, uh, uh one of the, uh, the things that, um, that occurs to me is a, a couple of, uh, uh, of issues. Um, uh, both of us have sons who are not working for corporations. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, and both of them are very successful in, uh, in being out on their own. And, um, my son, uh, our sons are basically the same age. Uh, my son spent, uh, four pretty productive years in a corporation. And then in 2008, when uh, everything went sour, uh, he, um, he, uh, um, he ran into some, uh, some problems and, and left that went out on his own and hadn't worked for a corporation since. So, um, 
So I think that's the uh, uh, the, the, the background that we have. But one of the things that I know is almost a, a platitude, but it's something that I think we have to start with because of where you started with this, and that is that people join companies. In other words, they say, oh, boy, I get to go to work for, pick a name, uh, here in Greensboro, I get to go, for, go to work for Wrangler or uh, uh, Gilbarco or something like that. I'm going to be part of that organization, and aren't I? Yes. Uh, and I'm really excited about that. But in the final analysis, what we're talking about is retention. And what happens is those people who were excited about that company when they started are now faced with a supervisor or direct manager who they can no longer work with, who is not supportive. So when it when we talk about leadership and we talk about leadership and growing your leadership and being successful at being a leader, retention becomes one of those measurements. Everything that we've talked about in our in all of our podcasts really comes to play in this uh, this conversation. And that is that people when they come to work um are expecting something from that company and they expect the supervisor they work for to be able to deliver that expectation. I mean that's simple. Um now, what's happened, I think, in, in our environment, we've added some, uh, some new things to it. For example, um, people no, no longer want to work particularly inside an organization, and so they want to work remotely. That's one of the criteria. That's sort of the freedom to be able to do what they want to do. People also want to try new things um, and uh, be out on their own. You mentioned that earlier, and I think that's an important uh, criteria. One of the most important things that I think has happened in uh, in this whole issue of retention is organizations have taken the wrong approach to dealing with it. Um, they've taken what uh, I will call is the um, uh, the program approach, where the senior level management decides we're going to do a program. You know, some. Uh, director somewhere says, well, the, the first thing we need to do is to have this program about retention, and we need to have everybody involved with this and talk about retention and talk about these sort of issues. And so they start with the senior level, and everybody comes to a meeting and says, rah, rah, and does all that sort of stuff. And then they take it down to the next level and the next level, and eventually it gets to the person supervising the person. Mm-hmm. And What's happened is it's, that's gotten diluted because the supervisor hasn't learned anything out of this. The organization has implemented this program um, that they think is going to be successful. They started with the top of the organization, which everybody says is how you've got to introduce any sort of change, and that's probably true. But what we really come out with is that in the final analysis, it's how you interact with that supervisor that is going to be responsible because that's the person who is executing on the vision for the company, the way we work, the, the, the things that are, are important to the company. And so um, this whole issue of retention has to revolve around the one-on-one contact that frontline supervisors, frontline leaders in our, in our context are the ones who are, are, are really responsible for that. I know that's a long diatribe on my part, so pardon me for... No, I think I, I think you're exactly right, and I love your uh, sense of people join companies 
And what I added to that is, but they work for supervisor. Yeah. And a good example of that is the branch network in banks. Right. I have seen uh, financial institutions, and we call it branches, have exceptional great leaders leading people that if you looked at them, you think they had gotten them from some great Houdini somewhere because they were so good. Right. And then I've seen the same setup with a bad manager, and, and it, it is atrocious. And I'm not talking about any one person, but I am saying that in order to achieve what you want to achieve, if you are in that kind of network, you have to be good at leading your people. Right. And if you, if you are not, you're going to have a great, great problem. And I've seen the great, great problem happen. And I've seen people, uh, like you said, uh, Steve, in situations where they had no attachment to the vision of the organization. They come to work and they do what they do and they go home as quickly as they can. And I think uh, vision should be put into an organization in a way that everybody in that organization has the opportunity to learn from that vision how they can execute and be a part of that vision. If if you put a vision out there and it's on a piece of paper and all I do is read the vision, I have no idea. What, yeah. what did I do with this vision? Yeah. And I've seen that over and over again, not just in financial communities, but in in a whole lot of communities that you have no idea what the vision is and how you attach the vision to exactly what you are doing. So I think that's so important. Yeah, yeah it, it is. It, it is critical. And uh, people do struggle with how do I, how does this, this vision uh, impact me? I, I've mm-hmm. seen that over and over again is that uh, they don't have any real concept of how they're connected. And Nobody spends any time sort of helping them understand that. Um, and uh, that's one of those uh, missing elements. It's why this sort of top-down programmatic uh, process I find uh, lacking uh, because the um, the real deliverers of that are not really engaged in the process. And when you were talking about some branches having uh, really success, high success with good leaders and others. You know, one of the things that I don't know where it stands today, but you probably will remember these statistics, that um, years ago, I think it was Gallup, d- did a, a survey, actually, I think he even wrote a book about um, the engagement, employee engagement. And uh, they calculated that... Um, a certain percentage, and I won't try to remember exactly, but a certain percentage are fully engaged. But that number was small, and I'm going to say 10%. And another fairly significant level of that employee population 
was people who, and I didn't like the term they came up with, but they called them unengaged. Now, um, that was a big number and it was like 50%. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that meant people who came to work every day, did the job and went home. They weren't engaged. They didn't, they would not have been able to articulate the vision that you just talked about. They didn't have that. And then finally, there's this other percentage, 15% or so, and I think that was one of the numbers, are working against you. They are actually the disruptors in your organization. They're actually actively working against you. Now, I have no idea whether that same survey would result in the same numbers today. Lots of things have changed. But but what it does say is that if you really look at retention, the, what people would say is, the top 10% are people who are already engaged. You probably don't need to spend a lot of time with them. I would question that. Those people that are unengaged is where you need to spend a lot of time. And you need to get rid of those 10% or 15% that are your enemies, your, uh, your disruptors in the organization. Um, I mentioned earlier about people who work remotely. Um, I think that's where the, a lot of these problems arise or will, will arise is that you don't know how to classify those people. Some of them are perfectly satisfied with being remote, and they're happy with it. They, they wouldn't change it. But I contend that, it's, that some of those remote workers are actually working against you, or they're not working at all, which uh, I think was it Tesla that uh, just demanded everybody come back to work? Yes. yes. Uh, so they'll find the, uh, the ones who are not working pr- pretty quickly. So. That's a great point, and and uh, I think for Tesla as an example, I'm not certain he got it right on that one. Yeah. I I think that we need to liberate people to work uh, where they need to work, and that means work where they can get the best results done. Right. I, I heard yesterday of somebody driving two and a half hours to get to their job. This was in the north somewhere. And uh, I'm saying to myself, so are you telling me this person had the opportunity to work from home and you make them drive two and a half hours one way to get to work? When they could do what they wanted to do from home. It, it didn't make sense to me. So I think, I think your original idea about the thinking of these people needs to change because we need as leaders in organizations not to describe or prescribe what people can work or where they can work or not. Right. If I can work at home, and I get the results that you want. What's what's your problem? Why not? Yeah. And I, I I think I think strong, meaningful orientation programs are a way to combat what are people doing. And and I've been in systems where we've had great orientation programs. But none of the programs dealt with these kinds of issues. Like yeah. the, the the orientation program had to do with 
benefits and all that kind of stuff and nothing to do about your work environment or that sort of thing. And I think we need to create programs that follow employees. In other words, rather than uh, trying to lead them in the way that we're talking about, I don't think it's, it's the way of the future. Right. So I, yeah. I think if you think about an orientation program, and I've, I've thought a lot about this in, in various work, is how do you introduce new employees to a new world in which your goal ought to be to help retain employees? How do you do that? Yeah. Well, one thing, you don't give them uh, tours. I mean, uh, show them around the building, show them where the restroom is. You give them information and ways to contribute. And once you start to do that, I think you can make some, uh, you, you can take some direction on how the organization could go. Right. Um, we've had a lot of situations where I, you know, we just did orientation. We, well, we got to do orientation. And anybody could do it. Goes back to your point. Anybody can do an orientation. Well, you know, uh, I have no idea about how the company works. No idea of what's valuable to our company. No idea even about uh, the orientation. I just do an orientation, and basically, I kind of give you your card or something, whatever, yeah. and let you go. That's the problem. Yeah. 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 I think you're, uh, you, you, you've identified one of those, uh, uh, almost sacred cows in organizations that the, uh, that the orientation program is, is built that way. And everybody says, well, you got to do it, but it's, it's not really doing the thing. And I wonder, um, I want to get your opinion about this. When you started uh, talking a little bit earlier, you talked about, um, sort of getting the right person into the job. Um, mm-hmm. so is it, um, permissible? Uh, is it re- you know, sort of required that I actually, rather than just simply going through your resume to see whether you've actually done all the things you say you've done, if I stop and take a few minutes and say, tell me what you want to accomplish in this co- in coming to work for this company, mm-hmm. is that a legitimate question? It, it is a legitimate question. Tell me what you want to accomplish to you, the interviewer, and you, the manager. So you talk to both of them and say, okay, what, what, tell me exactly what you want to accomplish that this person can contribute. Right. Um, because it, you can, you can, um, you can fake it. And if you just want an employee there, somebody yeah. to come, you can get that. You can get it. But what you're talking about is being sacred about how you hire people, which I think is the most important thing to uh, retaining employees is that you hire the right people. Yeah. And uh, I, think, I think it's a challenge because um, I don't know how much people look for that in them. You know, like, well, I mean, when we look at today's statistics, uh, what we're seeing is that uh, most of the companies, most of the owners that I talked with and uh, senior management, they can't find people to come to work. 
this is, I, I, I may have used this before, but it's just as an example of how this, uh, this whole issue is, is playing out. And that is, um, here in North Carolina, uh, we all put, uh, pine needles out on our front yard or our yards. It, it, it's just, it's, it's the thing to do. In years past, there were a couple of, uh, of entrepreneur people uh, who ran farms and they, they live in South Carolina and they actually live in a company called, or a community called Pageland, South Carolina. And there are lots and lots and lots of these longleaf pine trees down there. And so these guys would, um, had all the equipment, they would rake up those, uh, pine leaves and run through and then bale them up, put them to their baler. And then they would load up a big truck and they'd come up and almost every Saturday, one or two of them would wander through the neighborhood and, you know, you'd be able to buy pine needles off the truck. They didn't show up for the last two years. They've not shown up. And the reason is they cannot find anybody to rake the pine needles. Now, the process is you have to rake the pine needles, get them out from under the trees, and then the baler comes over and bails them up. Without that person to rake the pine needles, their business has almost collapsed. Now, I don't know how you would, what other analogies you could draw from that, but when you think about not hiring the, I mean, not figuring out, if that were my business, I think I would have figured out how to get some people out there. If I had to pay them $25 an hour, if that was the fo- the foundation of my business. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's one of these things when we talk about hiring, that's how important hiring is. Now, that's, I think it's a great example. We talk about people saying, well, how important is hiring? Their whole business depended on being able to get people that you and I would have said, probably we paid them 10 bucks an hour. Well, we found out they weren't going to come for 10 bucks an hour. So what's it going to take? And those guys, those guys who used to ride through the neighborhood and sell pine needles off the back of a big truck don't ever show up anymore. Their whole business collapsed. Uh, so, uh, this whole issue about hiring and, and, and what are you looking for? Uh, I think is, uh, uh, is, is foundational in what we're looking for and is the starting point for this whole thing on retention. Uh, and uh, I don't know what it's like today. I haven't worked inside of a corporation to see this, but it used to be that when I was interviewing people in the, in an organization, I had a hard time getting people to fill up an interview schedule because if it wasn't somebody who was going to be working for them, and let's just say I wanted somebody from another part of the organization to interview an applicant, um, you know, it was sort of a lukewarm. I never knew what kind of uh, of interviews I was going to get, um, but I needed to fill up a schedule. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that was sort of the 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 attitude towards hiring. The, uh, hiring. Mm-hmm. Just well, you know, anybody can do it, and you know, so you don't need that. So anyway, I, I think it's critical. Well, we had that not being able to fill up a schedule. I got. I have work to do. I don't, I can't, I don't have time to do that. Uh, I think those are opportunities to really support people who do interviewing or people who are asked to do interviewing. Uh, I had that same problem, particularly when it came to interviewing African-Americans. The idea was, you know, 
we got we got a system that says we're going to put an African American on all interview schedule. So you got to figure out how to do that. Right. And people became the uh, chief um, African American interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I got on. You got on the schedule that way, and then you had people saying, "I'm burnt out, man. I." I I have so many schedules I have to be on, and there's a lot that I can't do. And I think one of the things you have to do is make certain that we decide to pay people where the need is. And going back to your uh, thing about the guys in Pine Needles, I'm just thinking, and uh, I think it's been two or so years before my guys came. I had a good hookup, <laughs> and they were from South Carolina, and they had a huge truck. Yeah. And they came, and I think it's been about two years yeah. they've yeah. come back. And it's it, it, it to me is it's such a great example of the family. What what where your business is focused and where you're vulnerable, and uh, uh, <laughs> that's one that's one of those things that. Um, uh, I just find uh, find fascinating, but the uh, uh, the whole thing of, of retention when we go to it now, I, I do think that the world is changing. I think we are going to see um, Tesla, notwithstanding. I, I think we're going to see the uh, uh, the whole issue of um, people being able to work remotely. Um, that uh, that's going to be more of a more of a thing. It's uh, it's not going to be an unusual thing. It's going to be people are, are working remotely, and that's proving successful for some. I think it does depend on the person, uh, and I think it depends on the position they're in. Um, I've got a good friend who's uh, one whose daughter um, works for a, a company, and she has been working at home since COVID started, and she just started a new job, and she's now working um in the office i think it's two days a week and still working at home three days a week uh and she loves it because she she was she's an extrovert she wanted to be with the people and so forth and um and so working at home has not suited her well uh, but now she gets to go into the office she has the the connections the relationships that she's building um and but she's also able to work from home, which is cutting her commute her commute down dramatically. So uh, that's a I think that's a model that uh, probably will uh, will last forever. But there's still a lot of those people, uh, a, a lot of people who have jobs that that you can't work remotely. And uh, uh, I think that's true. And I I think one of the things we ought to work on. Steve, is how do we find uh, retention processes that we introduce to our companies? For example, exit interviews are fundamentally a waste because once uh, I need to do an exit interview, it means I've already left and I'm not, I've gone, unless you want to pick up what generally happens, but as a general rule, if you want to keep me here, you better do something before I leave. So the question I have is what is the something that needs to happen to me? And things I think about 
is I need, I think we need internal promotion opportunities. So if I'm with, with the company, how do I get promoted internally? How, how do you, uh, help me understand what I need to do to get a promotion with your company? So, uh, that's one thing that I can do to make certain that I get an opportunity to get promoted in your company. Another thing I, I would want to, to see happen is really good, solid appraisal systems where I can learn what I, what I do well, what I don't do well. By the way, the whole don't do well thing is a real issue to me. I think people generally won't tell you what you don't do well. And the thing I would say to people who listen to us, you need to challenge yourself into finding out, Steve, tell me what I need to do to be better. And uh, I press you on it. I say, look. Am I, can you understand when I talk? Oh, tell me what I need to do to be better. So I think, I think that's a program that we have forgotten because I see a lot of organizations who their approach to performance appraisals is exactly like, like we talked about with recruiters. (laughs) How do I get away from it? How do I avoid it? And there are many companies who now, rather than extended appraisals they have short-term appraisals so they have appraisals that they that happen over a week or 22 or 24 hours or some some period of time that you don't wait until the year end right and then surprise somebody with how well how how they're not doing their job so i think that's that's another one that is important i think um Really focusing on strong development programs inside the organization, ways that I can learn and develop and grow and uh, creating a situation where I can actually grow in the direction I want to grow in. Now, this happens in in larger companies where uh, you remember tuition aid, right? You had tuition aid and. Uh, a company I work with got to the point that tuition aid applied to anybody. And it, it was across all lines. There was a certain amount of money that you would, you were able to get wherever you work. Yep. And uh, I think that worked. I think that worked. And to the, the, to the other thing I would say is really concentrate on succession plans. So if I am uh if I am doing a great job, tell me what my promotional opportunity might be at right. your company. And uh depending on how it how it is, that influences how I do my job. Right. Because I think one of the things that's happening, and I, I think it's more subtle than obvious. Is I think these people who are not coming to these companies to work for them, they don't think there's any reason for them to. I mean, why why go come work for me when 
you don't have any possibility of a promotion of growth, more in, uh, more income, whatever. What, what's the point? And many of them are that way. They really are not focused on growing in yeah. the organization. Yeah, the, the, the companies aren't focused on providing those growth opportunities, and uh, the uh, the individuals. Um, I think one of the, the things that's happening is that individuals are saying, I'll be responsible for my own growth. And I think that's what, uh, what's happening with a lot of people now is that uh, they're not relying on their employer and they're saying, which is why we go back to this great resignation sort of thing. I think people have decided that I can go to the work for this company. I'll work for them for a couple of years. I'll get a little more money, a little more experience, and then I'll go over here and do this. Maybe it's a uh, your own experience or that sort of thing, or you're uh, building your own company or something like that. But it's, I, I think there's a lot more of that um, open-ended door sort of thing for uh, what we're what we're looking for. And um, so the whole retention issue, which is where we started with this conversation, the whole retention issue is a mo- lot more complex, I think, today. Than it's ever been. Uh, That's true. It it really is. Yeah. It's uh-huh. a, a lot more complex. And the 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 final thing I would say to you, Steve, to think about is what about um, your policies and procedures in your company? What 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 drives who you are as it relates to those things, like uh, maternity leave or paternity leaves. How do you get that? And something as as much as we talked about it is, uh, can I work from home or not? Right. Now, somebody ought to have really taken care of that. That ought to be pretty much fixed now. Yeah, you, you would think. Yeah. yeah. You, you would th- and okay. and I, I, I think what happens is policies and procedures actually follow People yep. needing it. Need, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you don't get any of that until it's so late in the game that everybody's quit and all kinds of things have happened. But yeah, you know, what, 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 what do I need to do with the policy? And in our organizations, we need to examine all of the policies. Yeah. I, I, we used to do a, a uh, audit on our policies. What's relevant now? Uh, what can we anticipate about the future? And it, all of this goes under the umbrella of building strong cultures in these organizations. Right. Because policy is in there. Pay is in there. Performance appraisals. All of those things really, really are things that uh, really influence how well my company does as it relates to the culture. Right. And we need we need to really think about that. Well, I think you're exactly right, and I think that's the uh, uh, the, the sort of the summary statement of, of effective retention, and that is leaders really have to pay, a, pay attention to what the people that are working for them need and want and what it uh, what what motivates them and years have passed of uh i guess um and you and i uh, you'll know who i'm talking about but uh, 
we know of an executive, a senior executive at an organization that uh, uh, once said um, that no, we're not going to do incentive pay. They ought to be incentive enough for keeping their job. I, I'll leave the expletives out of what he said. Uh, and so, you know, we, we're we're not there anymore. I will point to the uh, uh, to the um, quote that's uh, behind your head and but and uh, on the, in our poster here. And I think it, this really sums up the uh, uh, the retention issue: is that leadership is not about the results you achieve, but it is about the results of the people that you develop into leaders and what they they achieve. And it's so so profound. It's and and in my my kind of closing comment, I would say this: if you don't know that. You're probably not where you need to be because there's no way that I can be employee focused and not have a good sense of how my employees feel. And uh, I had a, a situation where a guy, uh, on a regular basis sat down with all of his employees separately right. and asked the question one. How are you doing? Are you still interested in your job? Do you want a promotion? And how hard are you willing to work for it? Those were questions he asked. And he, and he did it. And immediately, and, and, and immediately, he got very precise answers to that. And I think in our whole conversation about culture and all of what we're talking about here, people who are in organizations, whether you're a supervisor or not, sit down with every person who works for you and have that kind of discussion. And there are other organizations that the question is, Steve, what can I do? To make your job better now. Yeah. Great question. Yeah. And you will tell me something and I will learn something from you. Right. And you will learn something from me. And that I think kind of cap encapsulates the whole issue of return tension. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think so too. And thanks uh, very much. Thanks for everybody who listened and hopefully we, uh, generated some good ideas for you and some things for you to think about. So thank you very much and have a great day. Thank you. That was great, guys. And a special thank you to our listeners. Remember, better leadership is your path to success. Please let us know how you like the podcast by giving us a five-star rating, by following us, or by subscribing to the podcast. Most importantly, Please submit your questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes to our website, hiddensecretstoleadershipsuccess.com.